I'm pleased to introduce Keith Persky to the Office Space podcast. Keith is an Executive Managing Director of Workplace Innovation here at Collier's. He helps our clients use the workplace as a competitive advantage to advance their business objectives through innovative and insightful workplace solutions. Prior to his role here, he led the global workplace innovation at Johnson & Johnson, where he is responsible for program design and deployment of a set of new workplace principles for J&J's global office portfolio of 60 million square feet in more than 900 locations. Keith, welcome to the program. Hey, Duval. Thanks so much for having me. So can you tell me something about yourself and describe your practice here at Collier's? Yeah, yeah. So I lead the workplace advisory practice for Collier's for the U.S. And we have a group of people across the country who help large occupiers you know, figure out what's going on right now with their space. You know, it's, it's a new world and there's a lot of questions. And so we have a lot of work. Yeah. One of the, the busier practices within Collier's, right? That's for sure. And we're really busy. Yeah. Can you can you help describe how it's structured in the United States versus global? Good. Yeah. So we have senior leaders in the major cities across the country, New York, Chicago, San Francisco. I'm in Austin and I am able to run the practice out of the center of the country, which is nice. And so we're we're sort of loosely regionally based so that we're able to know the market, know our partners in brokerage and also, you know, know the people you know, headquarters in those different regions. But our team really works across the country. We team up on projects across the way, both because it's having a lot of smart people directed on one thing is really good. And secondly, we learn from each other all the time. So we're uh, we're constantly learning. We're constantly refocusing. Things are, as much as it's changing on the occupier side, it's changing on our side in terms of how we deliver service and and the kind of services we deliver. Great. So let's talk about maybe a recent engagement you've worked on and what you've learned from that. I know things are really changing. I mean, I don't know if it's fair to say month to month or every quarter sort of thing, but maybe a recent engagement that might be indicative of where things might be going in your opinion. Yeah, I think that I think probably the main question that our clients have is, you know, how much space do we need and how are we going to work in the future? And how is this sort of hybrid idea, which is where you work partly away from the office and partly in the office, how's that going to impact our business? And so we always start with, you know, what is your business? You know, what, what are the drivers for your business? What do you need to achieve? And how can we align real estate decisions with that to make that work? And so thinking about those as the fundamental questions, some other questions come up, which is about talent attraction and retention. How do we create work experiences that will retain our talent because there's been a lot of people shifting around as you know how do we use workplace decisions and work experience decisions for diversity and inclusion how do we help working mothers have flexibility in their time and location so they want to stay with our company because they're going to move to a company that will accommodate that and really in the end is how do we build trust if we're working in a in a distributed way. So a, a recent project, since you, I'll get back to your question, <laughs> is really um, we're working with a company who's relocating their headquarters a significant distance from where their headquarters is now. And so it will cause a lot of disruption with their people. And we're working with their leadership team and run have run a couple of vision sessions with them. And we started out with some questions. You know, we had a 
a questionnaire for them early on. And then we reflected back the answers to their questions by the different person in the team, you know, the CFO, CEO, the CHRO, the different folks. And we're showing that there's differences in perspectives. And that was a really eye-opening thing for the team. And so early on, they were kind of saying, look, we're really not going to do much hybrid. We're an in-person culture. That's the way we are. But as they saw each other's answers and started having a conversation, over an hour and a half, I could actually see them starting to get their head around this idea that moving into something that's more flexible for their employees would probably be a good idea. And it was it's gratifying because part of it was we were sort of holding up a mirror to them about their own data and their own perspectives about it, and then bringing in external perspectives that we get to have because we work with a lot of companies across the U.S. And that helped them rationalize changing their position. Yeah, so let's let's talk about that for a sec. You you because because I see a lot of people looking around and wanting to see what other companies are doing. And it's not always applicable, right? I mean, I kind of like in your practice, this is, uh, you may not look at it that way, but it's like a, a family therapist of sorts, because you're, 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 you're putting together the family and making sure everyone's communicating and on the same page, but every family is a little bit different, right? So are you just specifically looking at like-kind industries or are there similarities outside of the industry, you know, moniker? Yeah, I think... There are similarities within verticals, right? So insurance tends to be kind of like that in finance. What we're finding that's interesting is that we've we have done work with very traditional industries like law and engineering and manufacturing. But since the pandemic, they're the first at the door saying, we think we can do something different, you know, especially, you know, I mean both of them, but law firms for sure are saying, look, you know. We have been, we've probably had our most successful year last year, right? We were most billable. We had the most work and we didn't even go in the office. So why am I as a partner spending so much money in the office when we've been able to be effective without it? And so our, back to your question, our, our work in the different verticals helps us certainly work in the vertical, but you also can say, well, look, I realize you company XYZ is feeling kind of reticent to move into this. But let me tell you, other industries who are even more conservative than you are already jumping in and they're making decisions now when they have to. So we're able to bring that sort of perspective to these projects. Okay. Is there enough data out there right now for companies to make a long-term decision? And, and you know, along those lines, what, what sort of data points are they specifically asking you for? Yeah. So... You know, every month there's more data, right? So if you had asked me this a year ago, I would have said, I, I don't know. I mean, I think we're still learning. Maybe 18 months ago. And I think anybody who said, well, here's what we think the future is, would be you'd, you'd want to question them. But I think it's becoming more and more clear as we get deeper into this that some form of hybrid work is going to be part of almost every company's portfolio. And really now it's a matter of degree. So, and, and the things that, that drive that are functional needs, you know, who needs to be in the office functionally and who can work effectively away. And you can kind of parse that out by different groups in the company and saying, these guys really need to be in the office a lot. And these folks can probably still remain successful working in a remote way. So understanding the complexion of the company 
is is helpful because then you can understand what that ratio is of of people in 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 and people out. So that's one big data point is understanding how the company functions and the people that are in it. And the second really is a commitment to what the workplace really needs to be and how far you want to jump into that. And we're thinking that, and this goes back to your question, is there enough data to understand where we're headed? We really think the office role is changing to becoming more about gathering events, socializing, onboarding new people, deep collaboration that leads to innovation, those kinds of things that are best done together that really are not replicable across distance using a Zoom call. But you probably aren't going to make an hour commute to go into the office and do heads down work and not talk to anybody and get back in the car and go home. So you could probably do that kind of focus work at home. And so I think this is becoming very clear. It wasn't as clear a year and a half ago. And when we talked to clients, they didn't know either. Now I think where people are able to make decisions is is along those lines. And do you, I'm hearing clients talk about maybe a better solution or a good solution along those lines for the hybrid is you bring in specific teams on certain days. That to me seems somewhat limiting in terms of what you can possibly achieve with different groups being in the office with those serendipitous moments that we talk about and things like that. What what seems to work best? Because obviously there's a logistical standpoint of, of functioning within the space, sharing desk. And then there's the creative ideation collaboration component. Yeah, and this this is one, and I appreciate the question because this is one where we're still learning, and because you can have the mandate, all right, everybody in all the time, or you guys are in Tuesdays and you guys are in Wednesdays, or you can have the sort of free for all is not a good word for it, but it's really up to the individual to make the choice, which has some value in terms of agency that you give to people, but there's no predictability about when they come in the office or who they're going to see when they get there. So the truth needs to be somewhere in the middle. And I and I really do think that this this idea that says, all right, this group needs to be in on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and this group needs to be in on Wednesdays and Fridays, actually has some legs, partly because it's predictable. When you make the effort to get to the office, you see the people you need to see because you go in to see people. And if you go in and your people only you know come in across the scattered across the week, you don't really get the benefit of going to the office. So I think that there's going to be this we call it managed occupancy, where you start to not mandate, you you kind of leave it to the teams to figure out how they want to work it. But they know when they come in, they're going to see the people they need to see. The one and and the one thing I'd add to that is if you got a Tuesday team and a Wednesday team, they're not going to see each other. So how do you manage that? You know? And so I think over the next six to nine months, we're going to be learning a lot about how we use our space, our offices in a new way. You know, which which spaces are popular, which spaces don't work, how are people experiencing coming back in? And it's going to shake itself out. I think we're going to figure some place in the middle about it's partial it's really about team norms. You know, what is as a team, how are we going to decide to show up and when's that going to happen? So within the workplace team, you have some some set procedures and processes, and you've introduced the hybrid big accelerator, for example. Can you can you talk about that and how you lead leaders along the way to make a good decision for the business? Yes, the thing that companies need right now more than anything is just some speed. They want to under they they hear a lot. They're, they they want to hear more, as you suggested, from what their peers are doing or the competitors, which is difficult because everyone's kind of waiting to see that they. What they need is is we need to know 
directionally where where to go. We have some decisions we need to make. In the past, we used to spend you know eight to twelve weeks to do these big studies, and and they're and they're effective, and we still do a few of them along the way. But this hybrid accelerator really speaks to this thing about a minimal touch, customized, sophisticated answers to help drive decisions and direction. And really, it's essentially some interviews. There might be a vision session. We might do survey of employees, but really, if we can get by with just minimal interviews and a few and a, and a vision session with the com- with company leadership, we can come back with a set of scenarios that says, you know, here's your traditional square footage and breakout of your spaces, and here's a really lean into the future kind of scenario, and here's one in the middle, to kind of give them a sense of. Here's how many square feet we're going to need. Here's how hybrid's going to impact the kinds of spaces we need. Here's the kinds of people that could probably work away from the office more than in it versus the opposite. So I, I think the, the the primary points I'd like to make about the accelerator is it's light touch, it's fast, it's affordable, and it's customized to each client. And does it suit itself better to a certain size company? Uh, no. No, it, 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 for very large companies, you know, we've, we've done work for, you know, multinationals and their entire portfolios. It helps to have a project or a, or a piece to, to chew off and, and really focus on that. And what you figure out there, you can then think about porting the findings across the rest of the portfolio. So, but no, it, it doesn't, I, I would say that in terms of minimal size, probably companies that, that have 30,000 square feet or more. And I only say that because, you know, if we're able to impact and change your space by 15% or 20% or whatever that is, you know, 30,000 square feet, you start to get into a, a material difference. If it's 10,000 square feet and saving you know, that amount of square footage, you know, it, it's not that material, still costs the same amount. So I, I would not discourage small companies from partaking of the accelerator, but I think it really has its best impact on you know, 30,000 square feet and larger. You, you had mentioned employee surveys and you said, you know, maybe you'll, you'll do an employee survey. I, I have a lot of companies ask me about employee surveys and my, my word of caution is always just be careful what you ask for because you have to act on that, right? Right now in this environment, you've got a bit of a push-pull between the employer and the employee where seemingly a lot of the employees are saying they want to work from home more. Many more of the employers are saying they want more back in the office. Um, and obviously you talked about meeting somewhere in the middle, but if you could just touch upon the employee surveys and how effective they are, how you curate them, and what do you do with that information? Right. So the employee survey that we have has been honed for the past two and a half years. It's been taken by well over 50,000 people. So we've had a lot of chances to get it right. And, and I think the main thing about it is we don't ask people what they want. We ask them what they do and what they need to be effective. And so it's not, it's not a, a wish list. And it's, and again, it's really not a democracy either, right? We have to make a decision for what's good for the business and for the employee. The second thing is we took those aspects of remote work or working away from the office that everybody said wouldn't work. You know, that when we work away from the office, these things will suffer. Productivity, management, connection, trust, 
enablement in terms of you know the kind of space you need. So we ask there's depending on the client, it's five or six. We call these lenses, and we ask specific questions around productivity and and connection and management things like that. And then we compare and contrast those answers against managers. So we take the people who are managed in the manager's perspectives and leaders' perspectives, and we look at them. And that gives us a, a chance to be able to score different groups you know, on, on how effective they are in each of these lenses and cumulatively how effective they'd be to continue to work from home or to be in the office. And so it takes this kind of set of squishy ideas about you know, how do we make decisions about hybrid work and it really parses it out for the company by department and by tier. We can say by here's what senior leaders think. Here's what people uh, we can do it by age. We can do it by gender. We can do it by whatever slice we think is right. And we can visually then express based on these rational ideas about productivity management, things like that. Here's how these groups could perform going forward. And so I, I, I guess my bottom line is it's, it's got a really strong background. We've done it a lot. The algorithms in the background are really good. It's customized to the client, and it visually expresses these ideas in simple-to-understand ways so that leaders can get their heads around it and make decisions. Thanks for that. What would you, what would you tell a leader who's queried their employees, either via survey or just through talking to them, that they seem to be very effective working 100% virtual? And that seems to work. So why why change it? Yeah, and I I think we're getting we're seeing some cracks, right? I think that initially the pivot was almost seamless. I mean, we were the technology was there. We were able to do it. It was a, everyone was shocked at how, frankly, how quickly we as a country were able to switch from being in person to being virtual. But the things that we're starting to suffer from are building trust, which is best done in person. And best on working together. And so that's, uh, we could do a deep dive on it, but I think that's one thing. The second is, you know, onboarding new people and helping them understand what, what's going on. That's helpful done per, in person. That, that's, that's critical. The third big thing that's good about the space is building personal networks. And that's off, traditionally been done really well in person. Now, it always still took phone calls and things like that. You didn't always have your network just based on the people within 100 feet of you. But building networks now needs to be mindfully done. We can do it virtually, but we don't have the skills or the muscles to do it. So we need to think about how am I going to build my internal network so I can get things done within my company and have influence and make differences. That is suffering a little bit right now. And the last bit, I think, is just sharing knowledge with each other, what I would call proximal learning, you know, just rubbing elbows with somebody, overhearing somebody, you know, getting called into an office with three other people to work on something for 20 minutes. That kind of learning doesn't happen naturally across distance. And so, and I'll add one more thing. We miss each other. You know, the socializing is such an important part of work and we just don't have that right now. So, for companies who are thinking about going to 100% virtual, those would be my cautions. It would be, you know, can you can you mindfully build new muscles to help with those five things I just mentioned in a purely virtual environment? And I, I I'm not going to say you can't. I'm just going to say you you have to be very deliberate about it. Okay. So I heard you talk about 
you know, the next six to nine months are going to be pretty telling in terms of where the hybrid shakes out. But clearly, there is a, a majority of, of companies that are going towards a hybrid model and, and trying to figure out what that actual right recipe is. It's also fair to say that in three to five years, some things will change. So if you're talking to a, a company, we've engaged workplace strategy, we've engaged the architect. How does everyone work together to help future-proof the space for the next big thing and the next big idea? Is it furniture? Is it other things you can do? And how do you how, how do you make it so that it's an iterative process and it's 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 fairly easy? Because obviously the leases are getting longer and longer with the capital costs required to go into them. And a lot of tenants are getting great deals right now because the market's soft, but the flexibility component, future-proofing a space. Yeah, good. I think I think you have to be willing to make some big bets. And I and one that I that I would be willing to do is to say, I think hybrid's gonna be part of our future in some way, which I think you'll need to have less space. Now, is it it's probably 15 to 20 to 25 percent less space. I I don't know, but I think it's going to be around that range. I think it's going to be easier to take on more space in the future than it is to get rid of it. So, you know, if you're in the in the mix right now to kind of downsize a little bit, you probably should or you could. And because it's going to be easier to get space in, you know, you can take on more space in the future as opposed to get rid of it. And the the other bit around that is you can use flex options, you know, co-working kinds of options to help give you that cushion that if you completely realize you need more space, you can get it tomorrow in a flex option and use that as part of your of your strategy, which many companies are doing these days. But I, but I will I, I really like your idea about it being iterative because it's always been iterative. We've always been there's never been one single workplace strategy that just put in place and it doesn't change. So we have to always be thinking about how it changes. I, I think where the changes are going to start to happen is really about continued technological advancements around virtual reality, augmented reality, you know, things like that. We might end up wearing goggles and going into rooms with people uh, with avatars. And I know that sounds kind of far-fetched, but it's headed that way. We have the technology in the gaming industry to make it happen. I have not seen a lot of progress in that, I'll have to admit, recently, but but we'll see where that goes. But I think the bottom line is I, I where we are today was, was inevitable. The pandemic accelerated us to this place, and I think it's only going to get more technically based and virtual. And we just can't leave behind those things I listed, the social things, building trust, building networks, onboarding people, you know, those things we as humans need to do in person. And I think there's always going to be a purpose for place. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Talking about regional differences, you're you're in Austin. And I was reading today that Austin has the highest back to office numbers in the in the Austin metro area, which is surprising to me because a lot of the workforce in Austin is younger, seemingly, I think, pretty accustomed to working from home. Do you have any insight into in, into how those numbers are, are leading Austin into the, the most besides the fact that it's in Texas and there are some certainly uh, political components to it, but. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, you can't deny that. There's there's a kind of an attitude in Texas that, you know, this this pandemic was a little overblown. And so some places just never, you know, went home. 
I would, I would also, I think that does play a big part in it, sort of expectations from management and how you, how you work. I think another bit is many of the high-tech campuses are in the suburbs here. So your commute isn't an hour, it's 12 minutes, right? And so the barrier of the commute is not as great as New York City, where you have to take a plane and a train and an automobile to get to, to get downtown, right? So there, the barriers are limited in terms of, of getting to work. But I really think it's just attitude. I think it's just, you know, this is what we do. This is how we work. One last bit I would say is that younger tech people, and I don't make want to make this a sweeping generalization, but in terms of stage of life, work is a social thing as well. It's where you meet people, you hang out with people. And so we're seeing some of that in Silicon Valley as well, some some folks coming back to the office, even though they're very good at working remotely, but they just miss the social aspects of work. Yeah. And I know that a lot of the tech, larger tech companies have always been very forward in terms of the type of benefits they give, both, you know, food, beverage, amenities in the office. And those have always really struck a chord with a certain generation that appreciates that, the word free being operative. Yes, yes, yes. It, nothing's free, by the way, but yes, it's free. Yeah. I mean, in the end, you know, the, the strategy is thinly veiled. We want you there all the time, right? So. Exactly. It's all about productivity. Yep. A couple more questions, then we'll we'll wrap this up. You know, you touched upon the commute. It's the number one. Yeah, I think you tell me, but I think right now it's the number one complaint for, for not coming in the office more as opposed to the health component. Is That's that, correct. Is that okay? So, you know, I, I took the I take the metro in Chicago. And right now it's it's not mandatory to have one per seat, but it generally is still. And it's it's nice. And I, I do work on on the Metro and it's door to door for me. It's about 45 minutes door to door and I'm productive. It's pleasant. I'm not stuck in traffic. I know that in Chicago, we've got the CTAs, we've got the buses and the L and they're not the same experience. I mean, it's packed in there and you're, you're really, you know, you're holding on to, to something. And it's, I think the, the cities, this is a great opportunity for the cities that want to win in the long term to, to really increase the, uh, or improve their their public transportation. Because some cities will always, frankly, be driving cities because it's just too, too costly to really incorporate. But cities that have an existing infrastructure, New York, Chicago, places like that, it seems to me that it's a great opportunity to just improve them, make them better, because it'll, it'll continue to be a problem. I think that's right. I, I, I mean, there's a whole top, a whole podcast on just how cities need to respond because it's a this is a big urban planning issue so not just you know commuting infrastructure but but you know even technical infrastructure fiber and things like that where the hubs are going to be i mean that's it's worth a great talk and because uh, my my background is urban planning you know before i got into workplace and and so it's fascinating to think about how cities need to respond and they're kind of slow to it right now but i'm with you i think cities need to think about that kind of infrastructure and investing in it. it it's its going to be critical going forward. Well, Keith, I really appreciate your time and I appreciate the work you do for Colliers and I look forward to, to seeing more of your surveys and insights over the years. Thanks, Google. It's great to be on. I appreciate the opportunity.
only fear What matters to me the most Is what is there and what is real We could start by shaking each other Or talk about something else And I know in the end we could get to the point Or we could go get some rest And be good, be, good. Or be kind Be, kind. be truthful and be free And keep your holy love in eyes on me 